Morning for all folks joining us online. I know I'm a little taller, so sometimes what happens is the the lights tend to focus on my belly and not not my not my head. I don't know why that is, but anyway. The uh, our series this we've been working on a series called Holy Fire, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit and what it means to walk in the Spirit. In church, we use words like walk in the Spirit, or walk in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit. And there can be emotions attached to walking in the Spirit, but we know we can't depend on emotions. I thought I'd try to answer a few questions. And that's, these have really been sort of my questions as I've gone along in my journey as a Christ follower. Jesus himself said that the way that the, the, this way that we are on is narrow and hard and few find it. What does it mean? What does it look like to walk in the spirit? What does it look like when we don't walk in the spirit? How can we tell the difference? What are the indicators? We have our emotions, our will, the devil, our flesh, and the world all trying to pull us off our walk in the Spirit. How can I, how can I be sensitive to the Spirit in this walk? And how do I do this every day? What happens, what happens when things seem weird? Actually, I have a hard time, I have a hard time with weird. But then again, I can see God do amazing things in weird people. Where's my friend Paul? My Paul, my friend Paul, we have been Jesus weirdos together for a long time. You're a weirdo, I'm a weirdo. Yet I, and where's my friend Carson? I've seen him here too. Carson's, there. Car, Carson's another one of my favorite weirdos. But sometimes when we talk about things in the spirit, it can seem weird, and I have a hard time with weird, and it seems complicated, so I'm going to try to keep it simple. So my message today is called Walking in the Spirit for Dummies. <laughs> now, my wife said to me, honey, you can't say that. People will be offended. So if you're offended, let's go with Walking in the Spirit 101. <laughs> so actually, it's sort of funny. My wife, Tammy, everybody doesn't know my wife, Tammy. She's holding our... Uh, uh, grandson John back there, and yay for my grandson John. He is our little tank. Uh, Katie's a tall girl. My son-in-law is six foot eight and over 300 pounds. So that guy is going to be a football player. <laughs> anyway, my wife is, sounds like the Holy Spirit in my life. She is my sanctifier. She's the one that put pushes my backspace button on posts that maybe I shouldn't post on social media. So I thank you, God, for having a sanctifier in my, in my life. Let's say the Bible, uh, we're going to kick it off with our first scripture. The Bible says that we're to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, or walk by the Spirit. We'll get Galatians 5.16 up on the screen in the ESV, and it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, comes out of the ESV. That word walk in the Greek is peripateo, which appears 96 times in the New Testament. Much of the time, it means our conduct, our walk, our conduct or how we behave. You know, we use words like in our common vernacular, like, you know, we got to walk the talk. So our conduct needs to match what our talk is. Sometimes the Greek word means for walk means to walk. Like walk. I get it. But there are other meanings as well. It involves the power, the power to walk. The power to walk it out. There's an attachment of power to the walk. The power to overcome. The power to follow and obey. The power to trust when everything in us screams, you can't do this. The power to forgive. The power to believe. I believe 
help my unbelief. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the power side of it in our walk a little bit later. For those of you who don't know my story, I did not receive Christ until I was almost 30 and I lived a wild life. Uh, sometimes that appall I'm appalled at how I, how I lived. But more than that, the strange part is, is it really didn't bother me back then. Actually, I've, I, I'm more challenged now of how I lived than, than back then. I didn't really, it didn't really bother me that much. Uh, I guess I had a, I guess I had a conscience, and I want to come back to this word, but my conscience didn't really affect the way I lived or how I lived. It didn't affect my conduct. As a matter of fact, I, I, yet I considered myself as Christian the next day. I said to Tammy, I went, well, you know, I said, hey, I haven't killed anybody, so I must be a Christian. I am, and I am better than a lot of people, so I'm as, a, as Christian as it gets. That's the terminology that I would use before I was a Christ follower. So when I, when I came to, first came to the, through the doors of Hill City, I knew nothing about God or church. Back then, the whole church met in the community room where we get our coffee. That was before this area was built on. And I knew nothing about God or church. I was actually driven by my appetites. I had an appetite for this. I had an appetite for that. For those of you who follow me on Instagram, they know I have an appetite for smoked meat. But they, I, fought, I had appetites for lots of different things back then, too. Ephesians 2.2, 2, we're going to get it up there. And actually, my friend Carson and I talked about this. We said, this is sort of a, describes our lives before we came to Christ. In which, Ephesians 2.2, 2, and it says, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the, in, at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That was me. Now, there is a, it's funny, there is that, uh, and it talks about that walk. There it is, that word walk in there again. It's the same Greek word. For me, my walk is, is different now than it was 33 years ago when I came to Christ. And so it should be, right? I shouldn't be walking the same today as I did 33 years ago. And in this church family, some of you sitting here right now were here when I first stepped into the church. And you helped me grow in my walk. You helped me in my conduct. Sometimes you didn't even have to say too much. I just followed your example. But my, my addictions to pornography, to drugs, and to alcohol started to fall away. And that was just a start. Now, over the years, my walk began to look more like you guys. I thought, you guys, you know, I looked at you and you guys were totally different than me because I knew my walk and I could see your walk and it looked totally different. But my walk started to look more like your walk. And it, uh, and it wasn't just self-improvement. It wasn't just trying to comply with a new moral code. It wasn't anything like that. But there was something deep inside of me. And I've told this story uh, for a few of you that have heard it. That, uh, but pornography was a huge area of my life. And when I accepted Christ, I began to now sense there was something wrong with my walk. It actually bothered me. Now, at first, I could not watch pornography on Sundays. I couldn't. That messed me up. I thought, that's too wrong. That's too, for some reason, that's too wrong. I couldn't get high before church. That would bug me because I was focused on church. I couldn't get high before church, and I definitely wouldn't drink because you guys would smell it. So <laughs> that was sort of the... But this issue with pornography, it never really bothered me. Tammy and I had talked about when our first son, John, was born, when, I, when Tammy's water broke in the house. And you know where I was sitting? I was sitting there reading. I was eating dinner, looking at some magazine, right in front of my wife. I thought it was normal. Actually, what's really hard is my wife sort of thought it was normal too. And Tammy's water broke and I finished my dinner and put the magazine away and we came down and had a baby. 
That's why I look at sometimes this part of my life, it, it bothers me that it didn't bother me, and it even bothers me that my wife would think that that would be normal. But there became a time when actually, when I, there was a time, and I, like I said, couldn't watch porn before or after church, but the other, it just didn't sit right with me. And I distinctly remember a conversation I had between Tammy and I one day when it became wrong any day of the week. And again, it wasn't about a moral code. I just, I just got a Bible. I hadn't even read it yet. Tammy, what we did, we were watching the movie, The Ten Commandments, you know, with Yul Brenner and uh, for a little bit older, and Charlton Heston. And I watched that show like a hundred times, and I would track through the Bible, and I'd be just like, I was in awe that God would do this for his people, to set his people free. That was the start of my theology. Still to this day, I struggle because I think God has the voice of Charlton Heston. <laughs> Let my people go. So at this point, Tammy and I were just new at church, and I didn't even know any scriptures yet. I didn't even know any scriptures, but there was something happening in me. The Holy Spirit was alive and moving in my life, and I wasn't trying to fix myself, and I wasn't trying to improve myself. God was doing something in my life. Ephesians, 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 Ephesians 5.8 says, it says, for you, for one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk, oh, there's that word again, walk as children of light. And as I grew spiritually, my, my life began to look like you people, and I admire you guys, and I like that idea. There, there was some part that you, like I said, lots of you didn't know what I did on weekends or evenings. We just got to know each other. But I was watching you, and I've always bugged Jack and Tracy. Jack and Tracy was the first, one of the first couples to invite us home for soup and uh, buns. And we watched the hockey game. And they were our first, first people. So Jack would say to me now, well, Dave is my pastor. And I've said this before. For a long time, Jack was my pastor because I really didn't sort of understand all what I read in the Bible, but I could, Tammy and I could see what was going on in Jack and Tracy's life, and they were an example to us. So that was, Jack was my pastor in those, in those early days. But there is something happens when we begin to look like other people, we get to what I call the tricky part. Now, my grandson Elijah, he's four years old, and he says, he says to Tammy and I, he'd say, Ooh, Papa, this is the tricky part. So can you say, this is the tricky part? All right. So when we start to look like other people, we sometimes can walk by not faith, but sight. We start to walk by sight. We get enter what I call the I'm okay, you're okay corral. Now I have run up, but I, so, but I have run across a number of men and women that I was surprised, and this one was this one was hard for me. I ran across a number of women and men and women that I were surprised they were not Christians. They had a strong moral conscience. Remember, I was talking about I struggled with not having much of a conscience. They had a strong moral conscience, and some define conscience as a moral muscle. So their walk. Their walk, their conduct was really above reproach. They were honest and they had good character and they worked hard and they gave to their community. They were good parents. I lo they loved their kids and they honored their parents. And yet they wanted nothing to do with God. One of these men was a devout or is a devout atheist. And they seem to live more godly lives than some Christians I knew. Not at this church, but at another church, right? <laughs> another church. When it comes to changing our lives, we, can, we, we need to recognize that a strong conscience, a strong conscience can keep us out of a lot of bad decisions and the repercussions from those decisions. A strong conscience can keep you uh, from 
relational disasters. You don't cheat. You don't lie. You don't mess around your wife. And that's a good thing. That conscience will do that. Actually, you can achieve a relatively successful life, one that we in the church would call blessed, and up, end up in hell. The scriptures say that we can even do lots of good things, great things even. We can prophesy, we can drive out demons, and even perform many miracles. But at heaven's gates, the Lord will say, Away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. So this is the trap that we can fall into if we've been around the church for a while. Now, many of us are mature Christians, and we would, we would say, hey, you know, we've walked in the Spirit for, for plenty of years, but over the past few years, especially the past few for me, I have been challenged by a few honest questions for myself. In my walk, how I conduct my life, is it based upon my conscience, or am I walking in the Spirit? For most of us, it's not an either-or, it's sort of a mix. I believe that God created us with a conscience. A conscience is God created. Because no matter where you go in the world, at any place, in any time, our conscience leans towards the righteousness of God. No matter where you go. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So I want to take a little bit of a rabbit trail, just, just for a few minutes, to compare our conscience with walking in the Spirit. The human conscience is rooted upon fairness, not divine mercy and grace. Often the human conscience is comforted by the fact an action or a decision is supported by the laws of the land or what culture calls normal or, I don't know, just even the way we were raised. But the guiding of the Holy Spirit is not determined by societal norms, customs, or family acceptance. The Holy Spirit does not change direction because of circumstances or societal winds of change. The Holy Spirit can influence the conscience, but not vice versa, because of the Holy Spirit's independent superiority. Our conscience is an it, but the Holy Spirit is a he, the third person in the Trinity. The conscience actually seeks to be comforted. The conscience seems to be comforted, but the Holy Spirit guides and helps. That's his name, a helper. So the Holy Spirit guides and helps, even though the Holy Spirit will comfort as well. A strong conscience is profitable for us as Christians. We train up our children, what? In the way they should go. Part of this is show, showing or forming a strong conscience. This is, this, they'll get a lot, kids will get a lot of mileage out of this in their life. But let's go to the Word of God and see what it says about our conscience. Our conscience can be seared like that with a hot iron where it's no longer, no longer sensitive. We can cross lines that we maybe said we'd never cross again. Let's get the scripture up on the screen. We're going to go 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3 in the ESV. And it says, Now the Spirit says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars, through the insincerity of liars, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, it's interesting. When we talk about making fleshly decisions or seared conference conscience, we typically talk about what I call coarse sin, some of the things that I was raised up in and the things that I just did. You, the usual coarse sin, you know, the ones that the other people at other churches do. But this is church people talking to church people about what's happening in church. These guys with the seared consciences 
They were acting like heaven's bouncers and heaping rules on the backs of others where there were no rules. In the same way we can sear our conscience, in the same way we sear our conscience, we can quench the Holy Spirit, quench the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It'll come up in the Amplified. It says, do not quench, i.e. suppress or subdue the Holy Spirit. And it'll go on to say, uh, and I said, or I mean, my, uh, my one says, it says, or be unresponsive to the working or guidance of the Spirit. Barnes' commentary says the language of the Holy, uh, uh, the language used here is an image of fi- Holy, image of the Holy Spirit is fire, hence the quenching. How do we quench a fire? We pour water on it, or dirt and ashes, or withholding wood. You can starve a fire if you don't feed it. That one's a challenge for me. Or failing to stir it up. So we can see that we require a sensitivity to both our conscience and the Holy Spirit. So that's a similarity here. From here, let's talk about Sort of in a super practical way, like I said, though, uh, uh, walking with the Spirit for, is for, uh, for dummies. This is going to be super practical. What it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Actually, when we're talking, lots of times in elders' meetings, we'll talk about scriptures. And then my first question, Brian, is always, what does that look like? What does that look like? That's my big thing. What does it look like? So 1 John 2, 6 uh, in the ESV, it says, whoever, look at that up there on, on yeah, 1 John 2.6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked, obviously, Jesus. So our walk should look like Jesus walked. John 8.12 in the ESV. We'll get it up there. You guys are rocking it up there. Appreciate you guys. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not not walk. There's that same word walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So if we are following Jesus, it won't look like darkness. If we have deeds that we're doing in darkness, we're doing it wrong. Next scripture, Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, by him, by baptism into death. We had a big baptism last, last Sunday, and I missed it. We were in Alberta, but I, I heard it was really good. We were, sorry, my burps are going to come up on the mic here. We were buried, but therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, that we might, might walk, there's that word walk, in the newness of life. Walking in the Spirit has newness, not like the old way we lived, not when I just got saved, but we should be experiencing newness every year of our life. If someone wants me to share my testimony, I, I should have, a, I should have, a, I, I should have more than one testimony that happened 33 years ago. We should be happening, it should be newness every year of our lives. A good question for us, for us in the newness, if we're walking in the newness, is our testimony different this year than it was last year? And if it's the same, we're doing it wrong. There has to be newness. Colossians 1.10 ESV says, walk, we're going to come up in that word, and it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I love that one. When we walk in the Spirit, our, uh, oh, let's go to the next one, Philippians 3.17. It's funny, I put the sermon together. Normally I use about three or four scriptures, but I think I have about 17, and I did them all on my phone while we're driving, where we're uh, on the, 
coming back back and forth to Alberta. So this was, I said, gee, I had, Lord, you give me like 17 scriptures and I got to do them all on my phone. What's that? So anyway, Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So I love this part because this was a huge part. I imitated your walk. I imitated the leader's over me, I imitated their walk. So when we walk by the Spirit, our walk should be look like those who are discipling us. And by, by the same token, those who are discipling, they should in turn look sort of like our walk. For those of you in the recovery community, which Tam and I both came through, the, uh, our walk should look like our sponsors. Let's get uh, Galatians 5.25 up on the screen. In the ESV, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, some translations say walk, but actually that walk, walk is a different, just a different word. This one actually is, is translated, it says keep in step. That's a different word, but both of them in the English end up being walk. So keep in step with the Spirit. So when we keep in, like I said, it's different. It's, uh, to me, it's keep in stride. Step quickly, step slowly. It actually is sort of a military term, like marching, where we respond to instructions. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is neither too early or too late. And so we got to keep in, keep in step with the Spirit. Let's actually look at this in the Amplified Bible. If we, uh, if we live by the Holy Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, mine says if we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit. If by the Holy Spirit we have our life in God, let us go forward walking in line, our conduct, conduct controlled by the Spirit. My Amplified says, since we must walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. So remember we're talking about power. I'm going to start to bring that thing in here. So here it is, that power we're talking about. There is a power connected to the word walk. Uh, McLaren's commentary says, so be sure, be sure that the path that you were on and the path and the power always correspond. God does not lead us on roads too steep for our weakness or too long for our strength. Let's get Ephesians 2.10. And if you've heard me preach before, I have probably preached on this about five times in the past. Maybe I'm beating it to death, but it's still one of my favorite scriptures. So it says, for we are his workmanship. I love workmanship. Some translations comes up as masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk. We're going to walk in them. And so God prepared everything that we need to do and every part of this, this narrow trail, this path that we're on all the way to glory, he has prepared it beforehand for us with in mind because he created us he would never put a two-ton load on a half-ton truck. He has matched it up, and he said that we should walk in them. The Strong's Dictionary says walk means to walk at large, especially as proof of ability. It means to walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. means like you walk like they own the place. i got a ways to go here. I've got a level of timidity in my own life. I don't know where it came from, where I took walk like I own the place, but that is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The, you were created for this. You were made for this. And we can actually have a confidence, not a cockiness, that in our walk, we can move with this confidence. We can move with boldness. So let's pull it all together. And Jesus said that his way, I said earlier, Jesus said his way is, uh, is narrow and hard and few find it. And we know that our conscience is a good thing, but we just got to recognize we need more than that. But God sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us. He takes our walk, 
our walk in the Spirit. He takes our walk personal, and He is our personal guide. Now, you guys don't, this won't come up on the screen, but John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Can everybody say, He will guide us? All right. But God didn't give us a map and leave us our own. Uh, the Bible is actually not a map book. It's not, a, it's not, oh, by the way, here is the Bible, and you figure out how you get from A to B. He knew we would mess it up. So he sent us a guide for every step of the way, every day, not just in the big decisions. Matthew Poole said this. He said, the word which we here translate guide, ojase, is a word of great emphasis. It strictly signifies to be a guide of the way, not only to discover truth as an object of understanding, but the bowing of the will of, to the obedience of it. Ellicott's Bible commentary says the guide is to point out the way to lead one on his way, the fullness of truth. Now, I'm going to say this a little bit slowly because it, it, it's super important. The fullness of truth is for, the, is for the disciples an unknown territory. Truth is an unknown territory. The disciples are spiritually blind men feeling after the truth, but not quite able to see it. Sort of like, looking at the truth through a, through a keyhole. You know, we understand some, but not all. And I thought, man, I can relate to that when it comes to the truth. Ellicott goes, uh, goes on to say, the spirit of truth will take you by the hand and step by step as we have strength to follow will guide us into this unknown territory and unfold to us the treasures that it contains. Amen. So our walk with the Spirit is personal. The guiding of the Spirit is personal. It is very much, it is very much a step here, step this way, step that way, don't step in that. Sometimes we step in that. And the Holy Spirit would say to us, hey, let me get you cleaned up after that. I'm not going to ask for hands here, but I think some of us have stepped into that, right? Sometimes we go back to that. And then we step in it again, the, goal, the Holy Spirit, we step in it again, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, I seen that one come a mile away. And one day, son, you will see it too. You did better this time than the last time. In a little while, you won't be distracted by this. I remember a time when Tammy and I were trying to get our finances in order. I was a spender in our relationship. I kept stepping in it, so to speak. Nothing like a little retail therapy to make you feel better. Now, all the women take a, take a uh, hit on this one. But guys, when it comes to big ticket items, we get the big ticket items. We always bug our wives for the small ticket ones. Just saying. So I, but I, wanted a new, I wanted a new fishing rod. And not a Canadian tire rod. I wanted a nice rod. Our visa was maxed. Our visa was maxed. Tammy and I were already talking. You know, we were talking. We were talking a lot about this. And we were actually praying. And I was, you know, God, help us with this debt thing. We seem in, we're in bondage to this thing. And we want to be out of debt. We want to be out of debt. And so, and Tammy and I are praying about it and talking about it. And we prayed about it lots of times. And I, in all honesty, finances was the greatest contention in our relationship, hands down. Finances was it. Was it. Now, if, it was a, if we want to talk about a fight starter, finances was it. Now, we never, like, fight, fight, duke it out, fight. But the most heated arguments tend to surround finances. So we wanted to deal with it. But my mind, even though I wanted, to, I wanted to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and working on our finances, my mind was set on a new rod. 
this is pre-internet and all that kind of stuff. So I was, uh, I was, uh, um, um, you know, typically I got Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, all that kind of stuff. And I really wanted a new, I really wanted a new rod. And once a mind is set, once a mind is set, it's only a matter of time before the flesh acts on it. I'm going to read this scripture. I'm going to read this scripture, and it comes out of Romans 8, 5 to 8. I don't know if I can't remember if I gave that. I don't think I gave it to you guys. So I'll just read this. For, oh, you got it. You guys are speedy. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind. Oh, what did I do? I was setting my mind on this idea of a new rod. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Let's go to verse 6. It says, For the mind, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7. And it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, remember I mind is set, is hostile to God. And it cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. My mind was set. So back to my story. I was going to go fishing with my buddy, and I always needed a few things like hooks and swivels. That's how they get us in sporting goods stores. I always need hooks and swivels, little things. I'm going to go in there and spend like five bucks. It's like going into Costco. I never come up with spending five bucks. So I walked into Hub Sports in downtown Abbotsford, and I ended up in the rod section. Go figure. I ended up in the rod section, but I was just looking. I was just looking. Just looking is probably the greatest state of justification in Christendom. I was just looking, and I saw a butte of a rod. Now I don't fish. Now I don't find buttes of rods. I, I, I like guns. I like guns. So anyway, but I saw a butte of a rod. And for you fishermen, this was pre-graphite, but it was the nicest glass rod you have ever seen. It was balanced. It was sensitive. It, you could just bend it over and it wouldn't break. And it was on sale. So I get up to the till, and I know, I remember, I prayed about this. I talked to my wife about this. And now I'm going up to the till, and I know my visa is maxed. And I said to myself, there's another good justification. If the sale goes through and doesn't bounce, it must be the Lord's will that I have this rod. Has that happened to anybody else? But by setting my mind at this, my mind was hostile towards God and his leading. God sent the Holy Spirit as my helper, as my helper, and I was hostile towards him. To be hostile is to treat the Holy Spirit as an enemy. Now, I get it that we trip and fall. We do. You know, there's always grace for that. There's always great, but you know, sometimes I tire. I just know, I think we've overused, hey, I had a little slip. I had a little slip. I think it gets overused. You know, there's grace. There's, I get it, there's grace. But I think we overuse, I had a little slip. I was hostile towards God. We need to say it for what it is. You know what? I still have that rod. When Tammy and I sold our house and moved in fifth wheel trailer, I packed up that rod and I was looking at it and it's still a nice rod. But every time I look at it, I think of a couple things. I think of the prayers that we had prayed before that. And I think of my wife's face when she opened up the visa bill. She was heartbroken. We had prayed. We had talked. We had talked lots. God, help us, you know, help my unbelief. Help me, help me, help me. And then she opened up the bill. She's going, Hub Sports? Honey. And you know what? She didn't fly off the handle or anything like that. But I remember the look on her face. And I think still to this day, I still remember that. But that actually began a 10-year journey, probably more than 10 years of us getting out of debt. 
that rod, that was the last purchase that I made in that direction. Did I still mess up? Absolutely. But we got out of debt. And to, to this day, we have no debt. We have zero debt. Zero. It's amazing how much your finances can change when you pay zero interest and you have zero payments. Hello. So there was a, but there was a chance for me to walk in the Holy Spirit, and I blew it. I was hostile towards God. But like I said, that was a pivotal part of our journey. Now, let's, I want to shift gears here. I want to talk about how you know you're keeping step with the Spirit. Let's get Galatians 5.22 up there. And it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control, against such things are no law. If you got that, hey, you are, you are stepping with the Spirit. If that can describe your life, you are in step with the Spirit. Now we get our worship team to come on up and we're, I'm going to finish this off. Now here's a scripture that's sort of like the check engine light for me when you are not walking with the Spirit. Let's get 1 Corinthians 3, 2 up uh, when the Amplified. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet strong enough. You were not yet strong enough. So we know, we're going to pack this as we go. We know that we grow, babies grow, you know, in the formula, they have different stages. We grow this way. But at some points, we sometimes can stop. We can stop growing. We can. And it says, it says, like, how many of us know, know people they quit growing. They just stop growing. You know, again, other churches, other people, other people. But they never grew up, but not at this church. They, they just can't handle deeper conversations. Not yet able. Not yet able. Where is that? Not yet strong enough. The, that actually is the Greek word for power. No power. You got no, you got no power. A lack of power. So let's look at the... Then we look at the reason for this. And it says... For you are still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh under the control of ordinary impulses. For as long as there, as long as there are envying, jealousy, and wrangling, and factions among you, are you not unspiritual and of the flesh, behaving yourselves after a human standard and, and like mere men? I like one scripture that says, mere humans. Mere humans. So, but we got, so we got to realize that if we want to grow, if we want to grow, we cannot have envying, jealousy, wrangling, and factions. We need to deal with that. But the good thing about this, I love, love about this scripture, this is not a death, this is not a death sentences. This is just a just deal with it scripture. Deal with the envying, deal with the jealousy, deal with the wrangling, deal with the factions, and then you will grow. It is like the kryptonite will be gone. When you deal with all that stuff, the kryptonite is gone and the power returns. Because it talks about not, have, not having enough power. And we start to grow again. Tammy and I have had lots of times where this we've gone through this. And... Uh, we actually, actually, if even right now, Tammy and I hit a wall, in, not in our marriage, our marriage is all good, but sometimes, even at 64, almost 65 years old, and Tammy, she's like 43, both of us are dealing with, still dealing stuff from our past. We're still dealing with our past. So we feel, we feel this is like this scripture, we need to deal with stuff before we can grow again. And we started, so we both started seeing counselors. And we had to pay for it. It's like 145 bucks for 50 minutes. You talk fast. <laughs> and now some of them, but we realized we needed to have this to move forward. And we, and, it's, and some of you might have the question, they say, well, how's that going? I mean, hey, you're a pastor. You got to have it all together, right? So don't we all have it together? I've been, pa been a pastor for 17 years. Should have a, I, I should be just the counselor, not the counselee. My answer to you would be, you ask how it's going, I'd say, my answer is good, I guess. We have never been this, but we've never been this far in our walk with Jesus. Never been here before. And the discovery of truth 
involves a greater discovery of how the truth of how our Father loves us and the measure of the Holy Spirit within us. And what our Father thinks about us every day. But isn't this true for all of us? Don't we need to explore more of this truth? As Ellicott said earlier, the fullness of truth is for us disciples. It's for us disciples an unknown territory. Us to see, for us disciples, we're, for we are spiritually blind men feeling after the truth, not quite able to see it, like looking through a keyhole. That's what I feel like right now. And you know what? I am getting to be okay with being in an unknown territory. I have never been 64 and three-quarter years old. I have never walked with Jesus this long, and I am okay with unknown territory because the Holy Spirit is my helper, is Tammy's and my helper, and your helper. And he's going to walk with us every step of the way. He is guiding us all the way home, every one of us. Revelation 7.17 in ESV, and I'm not going to get put it on the screen, it says, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd and he and he will guide us to springs of living water and god will wipe away every tear from our eyes looking back i think both Tammy and i have walked, you know how long Tammy and i have walked in the spirit but more than anything we're realizing the holy spirit wants us to walk even closer to him I mean, I guess I walked a little bit in the conscience before. There's always a part of that. But he wants us to walk even closer. So that exploration of that closeness is where we're at right now. The Holy Spirit says, walk with me, talk with me. I have prepared a place for you, and this is not it. The Holy Spirit says to you, peace be still. Give me your worries. You are worth more than many sparrows. He says on the steep places, this is the hard part of the trail. Look at me. Look at me. Don't look down. Trust me. Trust me. He says there is so much around the corner for you. You can do this. I know you believe. Let me help you with your unbelief. Let me pray. God, I just thank you for your love and your hand upon our lives. I thank you for the conscience that you created in us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me for running on my conscience alone sometimes, for that's like running on cruise control. We want to walk in the Spirit with, with you holding our hand day by day, moment by moment, in all our ways. Help us, O oh Lord, to be sensitive to your Spirit, to your Word. Forgive us for quenching the Spirit, for withholding the wood. We desire a new sensitivity for Tammy and I. We desire a new sensitivity to your spirit, Lord. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.